Welcome to the Liberal Europe Podcast, European Liberal Forum Project. I'm your host, Ricardo Silvestre. And welcome to another year of the podcast. My colleague Leszek already started with an important first episode on the political future of Poland. And from my side, I also want to start with a conversation about the future of the European Union, and in this case, the relationship between its institutions and some of the member states. And for that, we are very privileged to have back on the podcast one of the rising stars of the Renew Europe group, MEP Moritz Kerner. The MEP was on our podcast on episode 72, where we went into what are the conditionality mechanisms. This conversation took place during the Alda Party Council in Bratislava, where important work was taken within the party regarding the future of liberalism in the EU. And that brings me to you, dear listener. I want to again thank you for being on that side of the podcast and invite you to get even more involved. 2023, it's going to be a very important year as we continue to recover from multiple crises, but also because we need to keep working for the future of the European project or to continue to renew it, if you allow me the expression. This is also the year that will lead to the 2024 European elections and hopefully to continue to grow the liberal and democratic family in the European Parliament. We here at the pod and in ELF in general will keep giving a contribution for that goal. But for now, with no further ado, I bring you MEP Moritz Kerner. I'm here with MEP Moritz Kerner. Moritz, thank you so much for coming to the podcast. Hi, Ricardo. It's a pleasure. Well, having you here again, actually, because we talked uh, more than a year ago. At uh, that time, we also uh, talked about the rule of law requirements. This was episode 72. Since then, a lot of change, of course, but the concept still remains, which is the European Union is a club with their own rules, their own values, and we need everyone to respect those values. So tell us what changed in this last year since we talked. Oh, there uh, were some real developments. I think the last time we talked, we had the new conditionality, which is um, uh, the new mechanism saying, you know, you if you want to have European money, you should follow European rules. Um, and we had this mechanism uh, also thanks to uh, Renew Europe and our efforts in pushing for this mechanism, together with my colleague, Kaladin Che from Hungary, from Momentum. Mm -hmm. We negotiated for Renew this mechanism. And then we were actually for <laughs> one year or more, we were pushing the commission to finally act. And after the Hungarian election uh, in May, they triggered this mechanism for the first time, really. Then there were some months uh, exchanges between the commission and Hungary, which is normal under this mechanism. It's rule of law, so there have to, has to be a, a clear procedure if we're talking about rule of law. This mechanism has to have very clear uh, procedures, deadlines. So it took some time, assessment. Uh, in the summer, Hungary and um, the Commission negotiated uh, 17 measures to fight corruption, to uh, make the situation better in Hungary. That's what we actually want to achieve. We don't want to cut money. We want to improve the rule of law situation. Um, but we in the parliament, we think, and we assessed uh, these measures that are now on the table since the 90s of uh, November. Uh, we assessed these measures, and we actually 
we were not happy with the measures the commission negotiated in the first place. They are not going far enough. Mm -hmm. But even those measures, the, the Hungary didn't really deliver. And last week, the commission came to the same assessment, saying, um, yeah, this is still not enough, and we want to withhold 7.5 billion euros. And now it's up to the uh, member states and the council uh, to decide um, that really this money is uh, being held back. And, and I think this is really crunch time for the rule of law in Europe. Uh, it's very, very crucial that we finally act and that there is um, some movement to, to restore the rule of law also in Hungary. That's a great point because I, I follow this very closely. I noticed that there was actually threats to send the European Commission to court. So how frustrating it is for you and Katka and other members of, of the caucus to be saying to the European Commission, please do this, please, until they'll finally like, all right, yes, you were right all this time. So how did that, how does that come about? Uh, of course, it was, we were really frustrated with the Commission not going further earlier. Um, <coughs> maybe we could have um, seen the mechanism al already triggered before the Hungarian election, mm -hmm. uh, that it would have also made a difference there. Um, but the commission was taking its time, uh, and we pushed, and we pushed, and we pushed. That is our um, <coughs> our mandate, or our idea uh, in the parliament. We are the guardian of the values. Uh, the, the Maybe the, the commission is guardian of the treaties. We try to fill it with with our values, with our ideas, and we really pushed. We are, if um, sometimes people say, Viktor Orban is a, a, a place the veto game, um, and we try to be, you know, on the other side and try to push. Of course, this is sometimes frustrating. Sometimes um, there's joy. Last week, I, I was very happy when, when the commission finally came to the assessment, and that's politics. You have always pushed in small steps. Uh, not everything is, you know, achieved in one day. So you have to be patient. You have to be consistent. You have to still work, fight, push, um, and that's what we're doing in the parliament. But is, it is quite an uneven fight, Moritz, because exactly as you were explaining, there, there are politics at the European Union level. But then you have Budapest, which makes this shell game, which yeah. is they have, a dis they have a discourse for the Hungarians and then they have another one from the for the Europeans, and then they say that, well, all the damage that has been done, it's due to this conditionality requirements. And they forget to say that, of course, but they're not following the rules. Can, can we go then beyond just the politics of Brussels and Strasbourg and, and try in, in a way to have that be reflected in Hungarian uh, society? Do you have any solution for that? Which I know it's a very hard question to answer. I think um, it's obviously very difficult. And the problem is that the media system in Hungary is uh, absolutely not free anymore. It's a, it's a controlled uh, system. There's only a few um, opposition media or independent media, so to say. Uh, there's only one radio which lost its licenses, the club radio. Um, so it's very difficult to, to bring forward another narrative. But um, having I have been to, to Budapest and, and in, uh, in for the campaign, spoke to lots of people on the ground, and I think they are seeing what's happening mm. there. Even if if all this ma ma um, machine Orban has uh, on his hands uh, to influence public opinion, there's still 
um, a huge uh, uh, an opposition. They lost the election. We now we the USCE said it was a free but not fair Terrible. election, and uh, right this week we 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 learned that actually Fidesz used data from the COVID um, vaccination uh, vaccination yeah. uh, uh, app apps you know to micro target um, better in the campaign. It's unbelievable, and against all these odds, they they won the majority. You have to say that very clearly, but uh, not in you know in legal or with with legal and or with with um, with ordinary democratic ways. And so it's difficult. But we we have to. Uh, I think especially those in Hungary that are not Fidesz, they are looking for the European Union to act finally, and not. Get played by Orban all the time. That's what 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 we are seeing. Very good. You actually mentioned something really interesting, and you, as one of the better minds, in my opinion, thinking about this and and actually working on this, um, on in Brussels on an event by the European Liberal Forum, I actually had the opportunity to talk with a colleague of yours, an MEP. And we engaged the conversation about using conditionality mechanisms in other areas of society. For example, as you mentioned media freedom, medium independence. Do you think these are valid ideas or do we take the risk of just using this instrument way too much and then having a backlash because of it? What are your thoughts on this? So I think we have to differentiate a bit. We have this rule of law conditionality mechanism. The ECJ said it's legal. It's, mm -hmm. it's okay. We had this Hungary and Poland went to the ECJ, said this is not in line with EU law, with the treaties. That's, you know, we're talking about rule of law. They should be able to go to a court. Yes. But the court says, no, it's in line with EU law. But the court clearly says, because it's a, it's protecting the budget. It's not about hurting some member states. It's about protecting the budget. Um, this mechanism very clearly. We also have other instruments. In the Common Provisions Regulation, for example, we have, to, we have something that the member state has to say, where, but while giving out these funds, we respect the Charter of Fundamental Rights, for yes. example. Um, so that is also possible, and um, that is a way to link it more to um, more to values. But that will not be this formal procedure we now have. The Commission has to do that, and, and then, then we need a majority in the Council, which takes forever. Mm -hmm. But um, we can work in with uh, on small funds. We see something is happening. For example, we had the situation in in, in Poland. Where these some communities uh, uh, called themselves uh, LGBT-free zones, yeah. um, and Helena Dali, the commissioner, said, "You know, um, some of these structural funds for your cities, we can block them because you're not respecting the Charter of Fundamental Rights." And that's very clever. I think we use, should use that more. So, I think looking more at the general perspective, our budget should be the European budget. Uh, it should be used much more to achieve goals, to protect our values, but to also have reforms coming with European money. We also see this with the recovery fund, for example, mm -hmm. where we say, here's European money, You know, we, we, we have it together at the European Union, and we want every member state to get stronger out of this crisis situation, so you have to do your homework too. So we should talk about this stuff, but we should not have this very strict conditionality regulation 
mechanism where we really have tough deadlines and everything on, 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 and on every issue. But we should use conditionalities, condition, say, you know, this money is coming with these strings attached. And it's very clear, everyone has to do his homework and we are using the same rules on everybody. That is, has to be clear. Absolutely. And, and, and as an add-on, there are other mechanisms, like, for example, directly supporting media that is yeah. independent, actually. That's also true. Of course, you can directly support. That's also actually one thing uh, we are working on. I'm thinking about something like a, a fund for, uh, um, uh, European fund for um, helping free independent media, especially investigative journalism. Mm. I think that is something where we, what we have to look into, especially in these countries. We have to make sure, because you know the ones who pay me those song I sing, it's a German saying, I don't know if you can, you know what, it should not be that we fund the media, because then they also depend on us. Exactly. But in some cases, I think we have to help with um, with um, um, independent media, investigative journalism, uh, maybe um, help journalism, um, help uh, with education for journalists and all of this stuff. Because uh, free media discussion, um, that is so vital for democ democracies. And we're living in a, in a time where we see that there's a big challenge ahead of us. It's democracy versus authoritarianism. And I think dealing with this big challenge will mean for democracies, it will mean more discussion, more discourse, more engagement, more bringing citizens together, and we need journalists and free media for that. That is just a podcast on itself. We can go into that uh, topic for, uh, for long, for many hours. And I, I'm going to ask you if you later, uh, we can talk about this what are your concerns, main concerns, but also hopes for next year. But before that, because I, I want to stay here for one more minute, and that you were just relating the European budget, but there are also those funds that help, like, for example, Next Generation EU to recover from the COVID pandemic. And governments like Budapest, governments in Budapest or in Warsaw, they'll be like, see, see how Moritz in Brussels, he's a technocrat and he's a bureaucrat and he's hurting you, hurting you, the Polish and or the Hungarian or whatever country suffers from those mechanisms. <laughs> Again, and I know, Moritz, this is a, a repeated conversation, but we have to keep having it so that people listening to this will understand that there is not an objective to hurt the common people. No. That is not, not only not politically sound, but it's not the values that you were just mentioning. Yeah. So please get in a little bit into that. Ricardo, there are two things there. First, if anyone is responsible, if Hungary gets less EU money, it's Viktor Orban mm -hmm. because, and his government. Because it's, it's because you know they are not abiding European rules, European values, and so on. Um, so the, all these mechanisms are not to withhold money, but to change the situ situation, respecting um, European values, protecting against corruption, and so on. That said, I think we also have to look into another dimension. And I discussed it also this week with Ursula von der Leyen, our commission president, and she mm -hmm. was a little bit open to it. And it's actually I, an idea a very important idea, a renewed idea. It's a liberal idea. Mm -hmm. Because we say, 
why don't we give money more directly to cities, for example, municipality, municipalities, like we're not giving um, funds to the Polish government, but to communities that are taking in these refugees. We saw a huge, huge work done by especially communities, by, by small cities, by citizens that are engaged, NGOs and so on. Let's find ways to finance them directly and not, or in Hungary the same, finance them directly and not the Hungarian government where it's, uh, where the money is going into dark pockets of friends of Victoria. True. But this extends also to other questions, like for example, we just had an event in Lisbon where we had our good friend from uh, Project Polska and uh, from Lavashesna, uh, the political party, and he was, he was telling me about the coal situation in Poland and how again, in this, in particular this case, PIS is doing the shell game of like, yes, we're gonna do a lot of investments in green energy for the next generation EU fund, but you're gonna be like exploring coal and, and getting coal out of the ground. So. Again, as you were saying, targeting that kind of help and then making a real change. We are at the Alder Party Council in Bratislava, and I thank you so much for spending some time with me. I'm sure you are very busy, and as I say this, uh, dear listener, uh, the MEP just looked at his phone, so <laughs> just it's a joke. Tell us, 2023, we still have one year until the European uh, elections, true, but this is going to be a very important year, and you just mentioned something that is also very, very dear to me, which is this eternal fight between democracy and authoritarianism. So tell me, let's start with the negative, and then we ended up with the positive. Tell us the things that take your sleep at night, that worry worries you for this coming year regarding exactly not only democracy, but liberal democracy. What worries me is um, the the war in Ukraine still going on and in Russia attacking more or less all, all values. Um, but the bigger question is also China. Uh, mm. we, we, what's happening to Taiwan? Uh, and and you know what that is what I mean, what I mean. The democratic liberal states they have to come together. The European Union is this one of the project that is mostly symbolizing this idea of rules-based, rule of law, values-driven um, uh, idea of states and, and uh, politicians working together. And we have to, I think, strengthen that even with more partners. So this attack on, on democratic values, this worries me most. But you, know, you mentioned we have a year ahead of us, and that's what we're also discussing here in the Council preparation for the European elections. I think the European election will be the fight uh, between um, reforming the European Union, protecting our values and those who want to destroy it. Mm -hmm. And that's why we have to prepare, prepare ourselves. We have to have a strong uh, liberal uh, movement, a strong platform or even a party together, really a strong force to, to fight um, for a stronger European Union, for a functioning European Union, we have to be the ones that really bring reforms, not the old uh, right, left, EPP, SND idea, <laughs> um, but we have to bring reforms to make people trusting in politics again and fight the extremists on both sides um, that attack our democracy. 
So I think that is the main challenge. That is what we are doing. And I'm hopeful because I'm liberal. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> we look optimistically in the way. And we know we can achieve things together. And that's what we try to do um, in the next one and a half years um, in front, uh, yeah, before the European election. Very good. I think you already told us then your positive, your hope for the year 2023. And as I'm getting to the end of my time with you, now we need to talk serious business. This is the most important part of the podcast. Couldn't leave with myself if we didn't get into this. We need to talk about Europe. We need to talk. <laughs> this is for our listeners, the, the podcast from the MEP. Tell us where, where we are. We are where are we? Is this like a cliffhanger kind of thing? Is it like a Netflix? <laughs> it's like you have multiple series. What's going on here? Yeah. Where's the status of your podcast? So, so Ricardo lost my podcast, especially the the the, the title, which the is, name in, is in, just in, in German. It's it's, it's <laughs> Europa. We müssen reden in in English. Europe, we have to talk. Uh, it's it's a it's a actually it was a campaign. I I I bought it. Uh, uh, not bought it. I I. I uh, already, I also copied it a little bit because the young liberals, the use of organization of the FDP, it was a slogan for the last election or the election before Europe. We have to talk. Um, so, um, and and Ricardo's, uh, you know, watching that closely or listening to that closely, and he he um, <laughs> saw that I I did not bring a new uh, episode for. Uh, a longer time. It was so much to do with the rule of law and everything. We talked about that. <laughs> but I can tell you one thing, and it's exclusive now. There you go. There will be a new series out today. Oh, so uh, um, I, I and it's with uh, Philip uh, Droughts, who's the secretary general of our Renew Group. So very interesting insights. How is actually a political group in the European Parliament functioning? So you're stealing the guests from our podcast here at the European Liberal Forum. That's what it is. You're, you're, you're moving people. All right, yeah, I, yeah. You. I, I see you. I, see I, I, you. I just use it for some self-advertisement. <laughs> now, seriously, to all our listeners, it is in German, however, but uh, to, uh, to anyone that talks German, please listen to the podcast and please listen to not only the ideas but the discussions that Moritz uh, promotes on his platform. Listen, sir, this is amazing. You are one of the MEPs that I follow very closely. I said it before and I'll say it again. I think our listeners should follow your career very, very attentively because you are one of the young guns in the Renew Europe that can make a difference and can make that, as you said, that future that is more liberal and more free. I've been talking... Oh, uh, before that, uh, tell us where people can follow you online. Is there, there's anything changed or are you still on the same platforms? I'm still on the same platforms. I'm still not on TikTok because it's uh, not <laughs> don't, enough don't be on data protection and it's a Chinese company and I post some serious questions about that to the European Commission and the European Data Protection Board and that's why I'm not on TikTok but I'm on LinkedIn, on Facebook, on Twitter, Twitter? on Instagram, everywhere. Uh, follow me there. Uh, and uh, my, my go-to app is, to be honest, is Instagram. We like to do a lot there, taking people with us uh, to my daily life and informing about the European Union. Well, I'm going to put all these links on the podcast show notes. I've been talking with MEP Moritz Könner. MEP, this is always amazing. Thank you so much for talking to me and hope to have you soon so that we can continue this conversation. Thank you. It was a pleasure. <laughs> Thank you.
I'm back. Just a reminder that you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. And if you feel like it, give us a five-star review. In that way, you can help us spread even more liberal values and ideas. And this is all for now. I'll be back soon with more podcasts. Until then, let's keep making the world a better place. This podcast is produced by the European Liberal Forum, co-founded by the European Parliament, and have the support of the social liberal movement Think Tank in Portugal and Liberté Foundation in Poland. The views expressed herein are those of the speakers alone, and these views do not necessarily reflect those of the European Parliament and or the European Liberal Forum. <laughs>